Uh, so we're back in uh, John chapter 10. We were there last week. Uh, as you heard, as Michael read it right there at the beginning, there's a huge division, right? There's a division in the crowd. Jesus has actually been pushing people towards this division, and you're seeing him do so more and more as we move our way through the Gospels. It's getting more intense, and he's really kind of pushing on on people, and you see that right here at the beginning of our text that we're looking at today in verse 20 and 21. Some say he had a demon and is insane. Why listen to him? While others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so there's this huge division that's happening right here. And I want you to think about it for just a second. Because really it's the most important question there is. If you stop and really think about it, of who do you say Jesus is, is the most important question that you'll ever come to. And not only who do you say he is, but what do you do with that? Not just what do you say and profess with your lips, but what does your life say? I've been thinking about this a lot. I was reading just this week um, that those that profess to be Christians in America today, right? So professing believers in America today, that about 9% of professing believers have a biblical worldview. Nine, 9%. And that is that they're being uh, guided by what scripture says and what God tells us and what his word says and following along in every area of their life or seeking to. And that so many don't that it's a disconnect between uh, what God's word says and what he actually tells us. And and oftentimes we're saying uh, that in that case, if 91 percent don't have a biblical worldview, then they're professing Jesus, but their life doesn't really look like it. And so I was thinking about that a lot with this division that comes up here. And so I want us to think about that this morning. I want us to think deeper about not just professing with your lips, but what does your life say? Because the reality is, if we trust what Jesus says and we believe who he is, the idea of just lip service makes no sense. None at all. In fact, it's insanity. If Jesus is who he says he is, but yet we just kind of push him to the side and don't really hold to who he is, that doesn't make any sense. And I really want us to think about that together this morning. And so the way I want us to look at this passage is first, I want us just to ask this question that they're asking in verse 20 and 21. Is Jesus a lunatic? Is he insane? Or is he Lord? Because that's really the only options here. They're going, who can open the eyes of the blind? And some are saying, no, no, he has a demon and he's insane. So which is it? And I think as we think about that together, really, there's only two options. Either Jesus is insane or we shouldn't listen to him at all, or he's the Lord. And so I want us to think about that first. Then secondly, though, I want us to think of um, if we say he's Lord, how do you know he's Lord of your life? How do we know that we're not just giving lip service to Jesus? And I think he tells us. I think he gives us some very clear things to distinguish if that's the case or not, right? So is he lunatic or Lord? And then secondly, is he Lord of your life? And then lastly, we'll just end with thinking about how do we uh, grow up into the fullness of that? Or what do we do next? What's the next step of faith? And so let's just start with, is Jesus lunatic or Lord? And so you see right here in verse 20, some of them saying he's insane. So why listen to him? He has a demon. And then others are saying, no, these are not the words of one who's oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And so there's a wide range of opinions and they're pretty polar opposite. Some people are going, he's doing things that we've never seen before that we don't have answers for. And the others are going, no, 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 this guy's insane and you shouldn't listen to him at all. And there's a wide range there. 
But I think what often happens, particularly in our culture, is we land on a third category. We kind of hedge our bets and we land in the middle. Oftentimes what happens is we kind of end up with this idea of Jesus being a good teacher. He's a good teacher and he's a wise man and he had some things to say that we should probably listen to. And so we end up kind of in this middle ground and we divide out our own category where we kind of put him in the middle. But what I want you to think about this morning with what Jesus says here, I think the, the, the crowd there in verse 20 and 21 have it right. It really is one extreme or the other. And this middle ground that we often adopt shouldn't even exist. And I'm going to tell you why. It's because of what Jesus says. It's because of the things he himself says. And so look here with me in verses 24 to 30. Because when you do, I don't think Jesus gives you that middle ground. The middle ground that we often live in. And so look at what he says in verse 24. So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered, I told you and you do not believe. The works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My father who's given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. I and the father are one. And so Jesus says some great, big, huge things right there. I give eternal life. It's a pretty big statement. Not only does he say, I give eternal life, he says that if you follow me, that you'll never perish. And he says, my father, give them to me, talking about God. And then he says, I and the father are one. And so Jesus says that he's the giver of eternal life and that he and the father are one. He makes some great, big, huge statements right there. So big, in fact, that I think the idea that we place Jesus in this kind of middle ground as a good teacher evaporates real quickly. Because what Jesus is saying here is not unique to this passage. He's been saying it over and over, and he's starting to say it more and more clearly. If you go back to John chapter 8, there's a debate with the religious leaders in John chapter 8, and they're kind of pushing in on him. And he says, uh, Abraham longed to see my day. And they all look at each other and they go, what are you talking about? Abraham longed to see your day. You're not 50 years old. How did, how do you know Abraham? And Jesus says, before Abraham was, I am. He says, I've existed eternally. I was before Abraham. And they all go, whoa, that upsets them, right? It's the same thing he's saying here when he say, I and the father am one. He's saying, I'm God. And he's starting to make these claims. And he's saying, eternal life comes through me. And so I want you to just think about this for a second. C.S. Lewis made this argument very famously. Jesus is either lunatic, liar, or Lord. And what C.S. Lewis said is the idea that he's a good teacher, that you live in that kind of middle ground makes no sense. None. Right? I mean, think about it. Somebody you'd say who's just a good teacher, who's just a wise person. Right? You go to a lecture, professor that you like, or, or maybe today that's even become intellectuals have become like rock stars. They have concerts where they lecture on different things but you go to one of those lectures and that person stands up and starts to tell you all their wisdom and all their things and then throws in and by the way i'm god what happens is anyone saying oh he's just a great teacher he's a great you go that guy's insane he thinks he's god and that's what lewis's argument was that c.s lewis famously made that jesus is either a lunatic 
He's a liar. He knows he's not God, but he's trying to dupe people or he's the Lord. And I think what you have right here in this text is they had it right. Right in verse 20 and 21, that kind of great division that's there. But see, the problem is, is oftentimes I think what we try to do is we try to domesticate Jesus. We try to put them in terms that we can handle. We try to put them in a way where we can kind of take his advice when we want and we can leave it when we don't want to. And that's ridiculous. Trying to domesticate Jesus. It's kind of like, have you seen the videos of people who take wild animals and make them their pets? It's kind of like that. It's like the person who takes a panther and has it in their living room. I'd say that jokingly, but that's a real thing. You can go look it up. There's all kinds of videos. People have lions and leopards and they're walking around in their house. That's insane. It's a wild animal. (laughs) But it's a drop of that could tear you apart. But we try to do that with the creator God of the universe. He's just a good teacher. And I'll take some of his advice and I'll leave the rest when I feel like it. And I think what ends up happening is it's not just our culture. Although it is, you'll hear that often. If you talk to someone who's not a believer today, you may well find them saying, well, Jesus is a good teacher. He's a wise man. He had a lot of good things to say. But I think what happens is we end up operating that within the church. We profess Jesus and we say he's God and we say he's Lord and we say these things, but then we treat him like he's just a good teacher. We keep him at arm's distance so I can ignore the things that I want to ignore. And what I want you to think about is that doesn't make any sense. None. In fact, Jesus speaks to this pretty clearly. This idea of kind of living in that middle ground, right? Revelation chapter three, the letter to Laodicea. And Jesus speaks to the church and he says, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich and I have prospered and I need nothing. We end up getting in that spot where Jesus is our friend who gives us advice when we need it, but I'm pretty comfortable and good and so I'll leave him over here. And that doesn't make any sense. None. If Jesus is who he says he is, that makes zero sense at all. I actually think the beginning here in verse 20 and 21, they have it closer to right. He's either insane or he's this one that we don't have a category for. And so I want us just to think about for this for a second. If you know Jesus, if you're professing faith, is he Lord of your life? Or is he just a good teacher that's your personal assistant? Or do you see him for who he is? And so when you read through this text, I want us just to look at what Jesus says here, because I think he gives us some checks on if he's Lord of our life or not. And so look at what he says in verse 25 again, right? They come to him and they say, tell us plainly. And Jesus says, I told you and you don't believe the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you're not among my sheep. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. And so he says four really important things there to help you think through is Jesus Lord of your life. He says, and I think of them kind of in couplets, if you will. The first is, do you believe his word? Right. He says, I've already told you and you don't believe me. He says, I've been telling you, I've been saying 
And what he's saying is preaching and teaching, but you don't believe me. But then he says, my works bear witness about who I am. And so it's believing in his word, but it's also believing in his works. But then the other two is then he says that my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. Right. So it's believing in his words. It's believing in his works. It's hearing his voice and it's following him. And I want you just to think about each one of those. How that comes to play in your own life. And so the first thing there, when he says, I've already told you and you don't believe me, they're doubting what he's saying. Right. Jesus has already made this claim. He's made it multiple times. He's preaching and teaching the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe. And he's calling people to himself. He's saying things like he says in John eight before Abraham was, I am. And he's making these claims and they're not trusting what he's telling him. They are not trusting what he's telling them. And so I want you just to consider for just a second. Are you believing in Jesus's words? The truth is for all of us at different times, we all have areas of unbelief. We talk about that a lot in terms of discipleship based on our circumstances, based on our life, based on our feelings. At different times, we operate in unbelief. We don't fully believe the things that God has told us. And that's true. And we're all in process. Even if you put your faith in Jesus, we're all in process. That's what we say here all the time. Discipleship is growing in obedience to Jesus in every area of our life. We're all in that process. None of us has arrived. We're perfectly obedient in every area. But we're seeking to do that. We're seeking to obey his words. But I want you to think even bigger picture about what he's saying here. Because he's saying, I've told you and you don't believe. And Jesus has said many times over who he is. And he is claiming that he's God. And he's saying, you're not believing me. And so I want you to think about that because that goes back to that lunatic liar or Lord. If Jesus claims to be God, he can't be just a good teacher. That doesn't work because he's saying he's God. And so you're pressed to the point of, am I going to believe what he says or am I not? And so the first thing he says is to believe my words, right? They're not believing his words and they're missing who he is as he's telling them clearly and plainly. And so that's the first part. But then he says, believe the works that I do. So look at the second half of verse 25. I told you and you did not believe. But then he says, the works that I do in my father's name bear witness about me. And so it's not just his words, it's also his works. It's both. And then if you look down a little further as they get really upset at him, look at what he says there in verse 37 and 38. If I'm not doing the works of my father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the father is in me and I am in the father. Right. And so he says, believe my words, but then my works bear witness to my words. His miracles and the things he's doing are validating his message. They're seeing very clearly. He's just healed this man born blind. Right. We looked at that a couple weeks ago. And that guy's going, who can do this? We've never seen anyone that can heal someone that's born blind from birth. And here Jesus is doing these things. And so I want you just to think about this for a second. That Jesus, uh, when you struggle with his words, look to his works. Now, you could say today, you read that and you hear Jesus say that and believe my works. And you go, yeah, he can say that to them because they're there. Right? You ever think that way? You hear what Jesus says and you go, well... That makes sense because they were there and they saw the guy blind and saw him, you know, they saw him walk on water. They saw him all those things. I've heard people say that to me before. Well, if I was there and I saw those things, then I would be a believer. 
but I've not seen those things. And so how do we take his words when he says, if you don't believe my words, believe my works. Is that for us today? And I think it is. I think there are ways that we can see his works today. Uh, Think of a, let me give you just a couple of examples. One, I'd say just start with the resurrection. Right, we just celebrated Easter a few weeks ago. We say it's central to our faith. It's the most important part of, of Jesus that the grave is empty, that he has defeated sin and death, that he's raised again. And you go, well, okay, so that's his work. I wasn't there. I didn't see the empty tomb. How do I know that? And so what I would say to you is go look at how that took hold in the world. Literally, overnight, there were some people in the Middle East that had no reason to believe in resurrection at all. In fact, I think from history, I could prove to you that they were just as skeptical about resurrection as you and I would be today. And all of a sudden, there was this group of people that didn't believe in resurrection. It didn't fit their worldview. And that was Jews and non-Jews. Pretty much everybody in the ancient world had this worldview that it didn't fit. And all of a sudden, overnight, they started to proclaim the resurrection. That demands an answer. To go look at how that happened. You go, well, I wasn't there. Yeah, but it happened. And and I mean, not even take take the resurrection outside of it. What we know happened is there was this group of people that went from not believing in resurrection to believing in resurrection to giving their lives for it. Why? How could that be? And so go look at that. I would just say to you, go try to disprove it. You know how many people have become believers by trying to disprove the resurrection? They go down that rabbit hole. They go, I'm going to disprove it. I'm going to show you how wrong it is. And then all of a sudden they're like, whoa, I don't have an explanation for this. And so start with the resurrection. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians, if Jesus didn't raise from the dead, then our whole faith is futile. We're still in our sins and we're wasting our time. So start there. Start with the resurrection. But the second thing I would say to you is look at Jesus' reach. Here we are, gathered in his name, 2,000 years later, worshiping him as God. People all around the globe are doing so today. Countless people, millions upon millions of people have had their lives completely changed as they've met Jesus. A carpenter with no formal education in the Middle East that was a homeless, itinerant preacher that never actually wrote anything himself and he's changed the world more than anyone else in the history of the world. That is an indisputable fact. And so when Jesus says, look at my works, look at what I've done, you can see that today. You can see that right now. That that is true, that Jesus' reach is greater than anyone else that's ever lived. But the third one, Give you one more. I've been thinking about this a lot lately. We say that we're saved by grace through faith. Right? We profess that Jesus has done for us what we could never do for ourselves. By grace through faith, you're saved. You put your faith in that Jesus was God and he came into the world and he did for us what we haven't done. In all the places that we failed, he succeeded. He loved God perfectly. He loved people perfectly. He goes to the end of his life. He deserves all the blessings that come with that. And he willingly lays down his life for us. We're saved by what Jesus does for us, by grace through faith. Here's the the proof. Grace changes people. I really believe that. 
And I mean in a universal way. I've seen it happen over and over in my life. I've seen someone be really angry and really ugly to someone else who responds in grace. And I watch them change right in front of me. I've watched it happen. I've seen it over and over. Grace changes people. Forgiveness changes people. And at the very heart of the gospel is the grace that God has given us. And it has changed the entire course of civilization. I heard a guy once say, he was not a believer. And he said he's been wrestling with the claims of Jesus. And he said the biggest apologetic to me is that Jesus Christ has changed the entirety of the globe. He transformed it. And he said uh, he, he's pushed evolution forward by thousands of years by what he taught and what he did. And he said, I don't have an explanation for that. And our entire Western world is built on the principles of who Jesus is and what he did. And it is so ingrained in everything. And so I just say to you, the works that Jesus did, you can still see today. Even though we're not eyewitnesses to his resurrection and his physical body, we see that he's still changing people today. That his reach is global And so when Jesus says, believe my works, believe his works. It's amazing what he's done. But then the third thing he says, verse 27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. Jesus says real plainly, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And we start to think about, have you put Jesus into the middle ground of your life? Have you domesticated Jesus? He's your buddy that gives you advice that you take or leave. Or is he Lord of your life? Jesus says if he's Lord of your life, you hear his voice and you follow him. And so I want you just to think about that for a second. Do you know his voice? And I mean that from God's word. You open God's word and you read it and you spend time in it and God has spoken to us. Jesus is the logos. He is the word of God. Right? He's on every page. When you read it and you're hearing it. But what I want to know is, do you know his voice? Do you open your Bible and you read it and Jesus shows up and meets you there? And you hear him. And you put it down and you get up and you go through your day. And you're confronted with different things and you hear his voice. And he walks with you. And he's in your life. Do you know what I'm talking about? Do you know his voice? He says, my sheep hear my voice. Does that mark your life? And I don't mean, be careful how I say it. I don't mean just an experiential thing that you feel. It's through God's word. It's always going to be perfectly in accord with what his word says. But he says, I never leave you and I never forsake you. And I'm with you always to the end of the age. And I am with you. And you're indwelt by the very spirit of God that's connecting you to the father through what Jesus has done. And in your life. And I just want you to really think about, do you hear his voice? The truth is, sometimes we don't hear it real clearly. It's because we're not listening. It's not because he's left us. It's because we're not paying attention. But he is there and he is walking with us. 
And the more time you spend in his word and the more times that you seek him, the more clearly you know his voice. You know what I mean? When my boys were little, they used to come in. I'll pick on Jed for a second. It was Jed that used to do it more than the rest. But when he was probably three or four, he'd come in and he'd pronounce something to the effect of mom said we could have candy for dinner. I go, no, she didn't. Your mother did not say that. And he'd get like a little sly grin and go, yeah, yeah, she did. Like he'd try to. And I'd say, no, she didn't. I know my wife. I know her voice. I know she wouldn't say that. And the reason that I know she wouldn't say that is because I know her. Because I talk to her. Because I spend time with her. I know who she is. And I know what her voice sounds like. And the same is true is the more the time that you seek the Lord and you seek his face, the more that you know his voice. And the more that you hear him. And the more that you're walking with him. And so Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. And so I just want you to really think about that. Is Jesus Lord of your life? That you know his voice and that you're walking with him and you're listening to him? Or is he your buddy that you consult every so often then the last part he says my sheep know my voice and they follow me right hearing his voice is always going to be in accord with his word they're never going to contradict so if you're not sure if you're hearing jesus's voice you open god's word make sure that those things are in alignment or you just go to god's word and continue to seek him in it But as you go along the way and as you hear God's voice and as you hear what he's revealed to us in his word, he says, if you really know him, then you follow him. In the Old Testament, there's this idea of to know something. And the word that's used often for to know actually means to do it. They're kind of one and the same. That if you know it, it's because you're doing it. Does that make sense? Like, um, I'll give you an example. I've coached basketball Whenever I get the opportunity, I love basketball at different times in my life. I get to coach basketball. Last year I was coaching Quinn's age and I can teach them how to shoot. I know how to shoot and I teach them to put their feet shoulder width apart, bend your knees, elbow in. You're looking at the rim, all the, all the pieces. This is how you shoot. You follow through and you tell them, they go, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I go here, give me the ball. And I shoot with them and I make five in a row. And I start to make some, and then all of a sudden their eyes go, he really does know how to shoot, right? He, he's not just telling us, he actually knows this. He knows how to do it. And that, that's kind of what that word means in the Old Testament when you start to talk about to know. And so when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me, they start to follow the things that he's saying. And, and I want you to really think about what he's calling us to. That he calls us to believe his word and to believe his works, to hear his voice and to follow him. And if Jesus is who he says he is, and I think as you read through the gospels, if you just take him in his word, there is no middle ground. He's either insane or he's God. And if you believe that he's God, it makes no sense except to follow him and to hear his word and to do the things he says. If he's the creator God of the universe that made you, that knows everything about you, that created you for his presence, that has come and done for you what you could never do for yourself, he welcomes you back into that fellowship. And then you go, no, I'm good. I don't need that advice. That's insanity. That makes no sense at all. 
And so Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice and they follow me. And so I want you just to think about this this morning. If you would say you're a believer, that you've put your faith in Jesus. The truth is we're all in process. None of us is perfectly obedient. None of us has ascended to, to perfect obedience in every way. That's not going to come together fully until Jesus returns and we're with him in glory. But we're in that process. But if you would say that you're a believer, you do know him. Is there anything that makes sense other than complete obedience? Remember, he says right at the beginning of this, I'm the good shepherd. Right? I come to do for you what you haven't done for yourself. We talked about the humility of receiving the words of what he says about him being our shepherd. That that means we need a shepherd to take care of us. We need a shepherd to lead us. But he tells us that he's the good shepherd. And so the things that he calls us to, the things that he tells us to be obedient to, the things that he tells us to follow him in are for our best. He knows better than we know. He knows perfectly because he is the Lord. He is the creator God of the universe that designed you for him. And so I would just encourage you to think through this week. What does your relationship with Jesus look like? Have you domesticated him? Have you put him in the the middle ground? Have I'll get to you when I need you? Or is he Lord of your life in every way? Because nothing else makes sense. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for the glorious good news of who you are. We thank you that you have done for us what we could never do for ourselves. Thank you that when you call us to yourself, that it's not devoid of reason, that your words and your works bear witness to who you are, that you have proven yourself in your life, in your death, in your glorious resurrection. I pray that we would see afresh the glory of who you are, that we would trust you more and more fully each and every day. Give us eyes to see you. Give us hearts that spring forth in obedience, seeking you in all ways and all things. And we pray all of this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.